Welcome back to another episode of GEMS Podcast with Genesis Amaris Kemp, where the core pillars are to educate, inspire, and motivate. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this segment. Welcome back to another segment here on GEMS Podcast. With me today is a special guest by the name of Zoe Routh. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Zoe because you're in for a treat. And we are definitely going to be on this leadership journey. So get ready for the trip. So Zoe Routh is a leadership expert, speaker, and award-winning author specializing in the people stuff. She shows leaders and teams struggling with office politics and silos how to work better. She has worked with individuals and teams internationally and in Australia since 1987. So she definitely knows what she's talking about. From the wild rivers of Northern Ontario to the remote regions of Australia, Zoe has spent the last 35 years showing teams how to navigate the wilderness of leadership. Her flagship program, Amplifiers, which is trademarked, is a proven and popular national advanced leadership development program for CEOs, managing directors, general managers, and senior executives from across different sectors. Zoe is the author of four leadership books. Her fourth book, People Stuff, Beyond Personality Problems, an advanced handbook for leadership, one book of the year at at the Australian Business Book Awards in 2020, so not that long ago. Zoe is also the producer of the Zoe Routh Leadership Podcast, a show about all things people stuff in leadership. And if that's not enough, here's another fun fact about Zoe. She is an outdoor adventurist and enjoys telemark skiing, has run six marathons, is a one-time belly dancer, has survived cancer, and loves hiking in the high country. She is married to a gorgeous Aussie and is a self-confessed dark chocolate advocate. So without further ado, let's welcome this leadership expert, Zoe Routh, to GEMS Podcast. Hi, Genesis. Thank you so much. <laughs> that was really fun to watch you um, to read my bio. And the first thing that struck me was that the 80s sounds like such a long time ago. <laughs> oh, man, I had really a good time reading the bio. And so like a little secret here, sometimes I don't always read the bios when I get them because I like to be surprised since everything I do on my show is very organic, except reading the person's bio because I don't know that much about you unless we do a pre-chat. So Zoe, I definitely want to give the audience a chance to connect with you in a fun and personal way. So there are two options. We can do an icebreaker or a rapid fire 10 question game. What are you in the mood for? Uh, I think let's go rapid fire. It seems like it's it's the right flavor of the day today. <laughs> <laughs> Okie dokie, you're in for a treat and it's rapid for a reason. We're playing rapid fire with Zoe and Genesis. Do, 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 do. Question number one. In your bio, you mentioned being married to a gorgeous Aussie. How long have you been married? 
uh, we got married in 2015. So uh, that makes it no, tw 2005, not 2015, 2005. That's 17 years this year. Oh, wow. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Question two, are you a coffee, tea, or what's your drink of choice? Well, um, I'm drinking dandelion tea right now, and it's kind of a coffee hybrid without the caffeine. So dandelion tea. Okay. Question three, favorite color? <sighs> Aquamarine. So the color of the sea in Australia, when you go to the shore and it's just this beautiful, spectacular blue, that color. Ooh, question four. What is your favorite food? Lately, cashews. <laughs> <laughs> question five. Okay, here's a good one. So if you could have a conversation with any person, Zoe, past or present, who would it be? King Henry VIII. I'm kind of obsessed with that period of English literature, uh, English literature, English history. And I find him to be such a fascinating human. The fact that he had six wives, that he had two of them executed, and the fact that he changed the course of uh, so much in English history in terms of changing the English church um, and setting up his, the next best, um, monarch in English history, which was Queen Elizabeth I. So that whole narrative around King Henry VIII. So definitely would love to have a conversation with King Henry VIII. <laughs> Amazing. And you actually shocked me. I was like, oh my gosh, she had two of his wives executed. Wow. Um, yowza. Um, six. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit, yeah, that was, a, yeah, it's fascinating that he had two, he divorced a couple, he annulled one, and he had two of them executed, beheaded. Oh my gosh, we're just going to leave that right there, because my eyes just got really big when you said beheaded. Um, six, yeah. if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Flying, yeah, I love flying dreams, and I think that is a marvelous superpower, so because you can rise above things, and you'd see something you see the earth from so many different angles. Um, so I think flying and flying into space is the next sort of extension of that. So you could see the planet from outer space. I've always been fascinated by um, going to the moon and space travel. It's what I'm writing my uh, next book about, which is a novel. It's about space travel and moon colonization. And so, yeah, getting to space, see the earth, that would be awesome. Amazing. And now... With the help of Elon Musk, he's making it possible for those who want to hop on SpaceX. Yeah. Oh, Elon, Elon and Jeff and um, Sir Richard, like a whole bunch of those guys. Yeah. And let's see. Question number seven. Ooh, I want to give you a good one here. Okay. You just won the lottery. And mm -hmm. in order to get all your proceeds released to you, you must first donate to three charities of your choice. What charities are you contributing to? Uh, who would be at the moment? It would be a fund in the Ukraine to support the Ukrainian people. Um, the next one would be to the local charity that I support ongoing. I have done for years, and that's Men's Link, and that's helping young men become more pro-social. And the third one would be to Vinny's, uh, St. Vincent de Paul here, which is helping to end homelessness in Australia. Love it. Question A. 
If you could hop in a time machine and recreate any significant moment in your life, what would it be? Wow. Recreate a significant moment in my life uh, with, uh, with, you know, re relive it or create it in a different way. You know what? Let's go all out. I'll let you recreate it or relive it. <laughs> oh, well, that's, yeah, that's a hard one, right? Because the most, the most challenging moments in our lives, the ones that give us the best, the best lessons. So I'm not sure that I want to recreate it with a, with a different focus because those lessons are so important. The moment I'd like to relive, that's probably, that's probably what I'd do. I'd go back in time to 1992 and being on a six week canoe trip with my friend, Joe, uh, Joe Briggs. And we were leading a, a group of seven girls for six weeks in Northwest Ontario, I'd go back and relive that every day of the year. <laughs> it was so fun. Question nine. I want you to think about a place that makes you so happy. It's your happy place. There's peace, serenity, and it just gives you that warm, fuzzy feeling inside. And now where is that place? I have two. So on a regular basis, it's, it's the couch. I call it the sun couch. It's up in our living room. And it's underneath the window. So it's, we have a beautiful view out to the trees and the, the sunlight floods in there all parts of the year. And curling up on that couch underneath my weighted blanket with a good book is definitely my happy place. Um, so that would be go-to for relaxation and nurturing. And my second happy place would be more generic. It would be any, anywhere with a spectacular view of nature. So up a mountain, by the sea, on a lake, Anywhere where you can see the horizon, just be awed by nature. That's my happy place number two. And question 10. It's our pass or play question. And here are the rules. If you pass, our roles are reversed for this question. And you get to ask me something. If you choose to play, I ask one last question to wrap up rapid fire. So do you want to pass or play? I want to play. Okie dokie. This one is going to be a wild card question. Is there any person you wish that you could re reincarnate for 24 hours and just spend 24 hours with them? Oh, okay. So bring somebody back to life, but not, yes. not me be them. They are there themselves and bring them back for 24 hours. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I'm torn between, do I want somebody who's inspiring or who somebody's really evil? And I just want to understand them better. Um, so that's sort of two bites of the cherry, I guess. Um, I already played the King Henry VIII card. So probably not him. Hmm. Yeah, this is tough. I'm trying to think like so many inspiring old people or dead people, <laughs> inspiring dead people. <laughs> um, You're really strategizing here. I know. I know. It's like, what do I go personal? Do I go big educator? 24 hours. Um, Princess Diana. Oh, okay. Awesome. Yeah. And thank you yeah. for playing rapid fire, Zoe. Now let's get into the meat, the potatoes, which is definitely your jam of expertise, which is 
the journeys of leadership because it's so vast and you definitely have the accolades because you've been in it for quite some time. Like what I read since 1987, I was like, yowza. <laughs> <laughs> right. Tell me I look young for my age, right? <laughs> That's the, when you start talking about your, your, your experience in decades, instead of just a few years, you start to you feel the weight of that a little bit. Um, so yeah, thanks. <laughs> so um, definitely you have way more experience and skin in the game. And I think a lot of people can definitely learn from your background and expertise and myself being one as well as the community. So I've only done 15 years in corporate. Yes, I look young. I'm in my early thirties, but I started working um, when I was 15 via a co-op because I had more than enough credits to graduate early, just didn't want to because I want to graduate with my friends. So I was like, what can I do? Oh, I could do co-op and I could get paid and I don't have to ask mommy and daddy for money because I'm making my own money. Um, so there's no restrictions on what I could spend the money on. And plus my mom was very conservative. She's West Indian, so Caribbean descent. And my dad was South American, which was always like the fun, like, oh yeah, you could do it. <laughs> um, so what led you to get involved in um, the corporate space and then tap into leadership? Wow. Okay. So led me to get into corporate, probably started not in car- corporate. Uh, back when I started my first job, early age two, my first real job, I should say, because like you, I started work at the age of 15 at Orange Julius, <laughs> slipping drinks at a little kiosk. Um, what I call my first real job is when I got to work at summer camp at the age of 17. I had my 17th birthday and started summer camp as a summer camp counselor and then led canoe trips there. And it was on these long extended canoe trips that I learned the value of living and working in groups and of leading teams and discovering more about yourself in spectacular areas. And that became a theme and a passion for me, those kinds of experiences with teams in the outdoors. And that led me through to come to work here in Australia with Outward Bound, which is leadership and personal development in the outdoors. And I worked with them for nine years. And that sprung was a springboard to work for the Australian Rural Leadership Foundation, which was kind of the segue or the entree into corporate. And in my role at the Rural Leadership Foundation, I designed a number of leadership programs for different sectors and different types of groups. And the way that we ran programs for that organization, some of it was in the outdoors. So it started in the outdoors to uh, fast track group dynamics and get conversations happening. And then um, some of the leadership programs were more in a board, boardroom setting. And you had people from all sorts of different backgrounds on those programs from, from public service to agriculture, to community-based organizations. And that was my first foray into corporate per se. Um, since I started my own business in 2002, I've been working with leaders in so many different sectors, uh, from higher education to professional services to public service, and really got to know the different kinds of cultures that people can create in these different organizations in different contexts. That was kind of the stepping stone, really. So from the outdoors into the boardroom, <laughs> it doesn't seem like a natural logical leap. It was kind of just bit by bit. That's how I ended up doing that kind of work. Amazing. So kind of like that non-traditional path going from the outdoors to the indoors and really not just leading 
um, externally, but kind of leading internally, if you think about it, within the confinements of, of walls and et cetera. And I, I like the versatility that you preface because then by you having exposure into one element and then bringing that to another element, you could build upon the skill sets that you acquired and really have that well-rounded experience. So now with your own business and working with cross-functions and different um, industries, what are some of the common leadership issues that you're seeing um, women face? Because sometimes women, we want to be leaders, but we may not always be given the chance to have the seat at the table in that boardroom or the opportunity. So interesting one. So there's a lot of commonalities in, in, women leaders and male leaders and people might be surprised to hear that because it sounds contrary to the the general understanding of of leadership is that men like women often have a lot of self-doubt in terms of are they performing well are they doing well have they are they going to be seen as an imposter etc so the leaders i work with have that in common regardless of gender is that sort of self-doubt does come to the fore I think where the differences are is that even if they feel self-doubt, the men will tend to have a crack. They'll have a go at trying something or leading something, uh, probably because there's been more male role models around them. It's kind of what is expected of male leaders is even if you feel doubtful, you're supposed to go and try. Like it's kind of you're on a path. Whereas for women, there is fewer models. It's fewer. It's still a bit of a novelty in some ways to see a female CEO, it's kind of like, if you meet a CEO and she's female, it's like, oh, there's a part of you that goes, oh, you're female, (laughs) as opposed to you're a CEO, who cares what your gender is. So there's still that not a huge bulk of people who are models for that. So I think that's one of the contributing factors that women face in terms of um, leadership roles with authority. Uh, I think the other thing that women face is their counterparts counterparts aren't always attuned to the challenges that women face. So this is the unconscious bias stuff at play. And when you are a white male, you are not necessarily always conscious of how much privilege you have with being white and male and young, possibly, or even older male. Uh, And you take a lot of things for granted. And sometimes that can put filters on our perspective and we're not able to see the challenges of other people who might not be white or male or young or old (laughs) Um, because there's benefits in being young and there's benefits in being older as well. Um, And I think that's some of the challenges that women face. They, They have to explain a little bit of their context. It's like, yeah, I'm the primary carry for my, uh, carer for my kids and I have to leave early to pick up my kids from school because I don't have after school care. That happened, I was running a leadership session yesterday, a strategy session, and at least two of the women, actually there, it was two women who had to leave early to go and pick up their kids. So they missed out on an hour and a half of the group session because of family responsibilities. And not every woman has the luxury or the funding to pay for daycare so they can be in a full day workplaces. So there's some structural systemic issues that women face, I think, because of the social construct of family dynamics and also of these unconscious biases that play out in how people um, make decisions about business or even just things like, when are we going to have meetings? And that's long been talked about in terms of how, how women in particular can be disadvantaged by the structures of, of work. Um, 
because we assume that people have are available at all times of the day and not necessarily so. So th- those are the, those are the two main challenges I think that women face. Mm, okay. And I, lo- I loved how you broke them down into two main challenges because the second part, I could really resonate with that, especially as getting ready to begin my motherhood journey and also working with other women where some, sometimes the male will make a comment, Oh, I thought you had a nanny or something like they just assume. And before they realize what they're saying, it's already out of their mouth. And then from the context that you mentioned, having a Caucasian male that is um, in a higher position, or they have a woman that's in the same position, but equal, but just in a, in a different business line, and they get more luxury or treatment than the woman, then you could kind of see how there are some forms of microaggression there. There's some form of unconscious biases there and perceptions and if that woman was in the same room as the male the male will say something and it's like he's seen as confident go-getter overachiever and the minute the female says something it's like oh you're being a little aggressive or whatever the case may be at least I have personally endured that being a melanated African-American black or like I like to say since I have a book out chocolate drop in corporate America and having worked 12 years in oil and gas and energy which is very very much male dominated and driven by a white male. There were certain times where I would say something and I would want to advocate for other women. And they're like, this is not about everyone else. This is about you. But I was like, if you make it up to a certain level of the ladder as a leadership, you should be looking at how can you pull up other leaders because we're better when we're together. And I always say united we stand and divided we fall. But if the rest of the community that you're a part of doesn't have that same mindset, then I think we're missing the bucket. And that's where diversity comes in. Diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. How can you say you stand for this, but you don't see it, or it's not really evident? And if you do say you stand for it, it's mainly to check the box to show the shareholders, this is what I'm doing in this space. Do you have any um, viewpoints regarding that, Zoe? And feel free to reframe the question. Oh, absolutely. I do have viewpoints on that. I was speaking to my niece and she's uh, half white Australian. So her mother is white as they come. (laughs) She's got like stunning blonde hair and really pale skin. And her father is from Uganda and he is black as the ace of spades. So she is a chocolate drop as you like, um, as you say. And I was speaking about her experience in the workplace. So she's 20, early twenties. And so she's just moving into corporate and, um, I think her experience shows that some of these biases are like death by a thousand cuts in some ways. She was telling about this experience. So she's working in this workplace and she, one of the comments of her, of her colleagues was, oh, you're just a a diversity inclusion, tick the box person. You got hired because of that. So completely downplayed her skill and ability and uh, basically said, well, you're only, the only reason you're here is because you're making up the numbers and you're trying to make us look good as opposed to you're really smart, you're intelligent, you have something to value. And I was like, wow, wow, really? Did that, re- did that act, did she really say that? She goes, uh-huh, that's what she said. I'm like, wow. So that, that person was moved on uh, from her role, I believe, or has left the organization. But those kinds of comments, they stick and they add up. And 
we get when we get wounded like that, then we tend to be mindful or careful and uh, sensitive to any other comments like that. And if, I think it plants a little seed of self-doubt too. Like, really? Was I really hired because of that? Or was I hired because I have skills and talents and abilities? And I think those little cutting marks, for example, you know, the one that you mentioned that your boss said, oh, I thought you had a nanny. Like it, there's so much judgment associated with that seemingly benign comment that cuts a little bit deeper every time. It feels like we have to fight a little bit harder to deal with our own self-narrative about these little comments that attack us, um, as well as then prove our worth, um, that we do have a right to have a seat at the table. And I think it's it's really challenging. And I see this with um, not, not only in the diversity and inclusion space, uh, so for people with different abilities and different difference of any sort that is not white, Caucasian, um, et cetera, that we have to explain ourselves. We have to explain our perspective. We have to explain our experience. And it's extremely draining. I remember interviewing a woman on my podcast too, who is uh, someone with a um, disability. And she says it's exhausting having to explain all the time what it's like to be in a wheelchair and that the little things get in the way. Uh, the fact that there's no ramp to get into a lot of buildings or not wheelchair accessible or the bathrooms aren't like simple, basic stuff in terms of mobility are things that impede and cause huge barriers in terms of being able to contribute and having to explain all this stuff all the time is just uh, frustrating. Um so I think there's a lot to overcome and there's in terms of those inflections causing us our own inner turmoil and self-doubt, as well as having to educate others about what our experience is, uh, no matter what our platform is. So yeah, a lot to say on that. And I think for leaders, whether you're in a position of, especially if you're in a position of authority, the one of the most important antidotes to help us contend with this so that we can access all the talent that is around us is that we need to be curious and humble about the people around us and really be curious about what is your experience? What is it like to be you? How do you see the world? How do people experience you? What are your interactions? What works for you and what doesn't? And I think that is got to be the, the antidote to things like unconscious bias is that we need to be curious and lean into that and keep asking questions. I completely agree with that sentiment because when I heard the comment about I thought you had a, a nanny from a male saying it to another woman on that was shocking when I just heard you share what your niece went through because she is biracial that was shocking because mm -hmm. I'm from a multicultural family myself and my sister's kids are biracial they're half Caucasian and my brother's kids are half Indian um so that is shocking. And then just to see it in the workplace and just hear countless stories of it time and time again. And I said, sometimes you have to look in the mirror and leadership has to examine where they are because if someone does not see a leader effectively walking it like they're talking it, then they don't have that buy-in power and they don't feel like they're leading effectively. And I feel like we need to have more compassion. We have to have more empathy. We need to get back to doing team buildings, which will really help you understand the people on your team, how they think, how they work outside of the work setting. And, you know, get not too personal where you're all up in their business, but get 
personal to where you know how some of their personal life may affect their work life, and that is okay. And whenever you have different policies, make sure those policies apply to everyone. And if you have a certain policy, like uh, workplace flexibility, where you can work from home, don't make it feel as if, oh, we have this policy, but we really don't want you to use it. Because when someone needs to use it, like a mother, and she needs to just work from home because her child is sick and she doesn't have anyone else, she shouldn't feel like, okay, is this going to count against me in my performance review or my ranking because I'm not in the office. She could very well be thriving and productive at home. Or let's look at different things like you mentioned, the person you had on your podcast that was um, disabled or some people say able body. Okay, what will make her job easier where she could assimilate? So Let's look at ADA policies. Do we have enough um, ADA accessibilities to make sure that not only are we helping her, but we're helping someone else that may come along besides or behind her that needs that, okay? And there's now where some people want equality with the bathrooms or the mothers. We need a nursing room where you could pump if you're repatriating back from maternity leave and you don't want to just pump in a bathroom it's gross and grotesque like you want to do it in a room store your breast milk or whatnot just like they have rooms for people to pray pray in for certain religions you can have a prayer room but you can also have a mother's room how how much money is it going to cost you to carve out a room for that for those individuals and then just put a calendar on it we had that when i was working in oil and gas and it was a big transition from our podunk office to our glorified office, which was nothing like Google. And believe me, I've toured Google. And now I see why some people want to work at Google because they have a little bit of everything and it's a conducive environment. And I think that's a part of leadership. When leaders have certain core values and missions, then it's evident within the workplace, in my opinion. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. Um... So how we actually make space for people and, get, and getting curious about how they, how they live and exist and what, um, what value there is in that and what value there is in understanding other people's experiences. And I think when we grow our perspective, we become powerful. So I believe that perspective is power. And the more that we can see other people's perspective, the more that we will learn about ourselves, the world, and how we can make effective change to uh, access all the talent out there, access all the intelligence out there, and make smarter, more sensible, and sensitive decisions for all of us, for more of us. And it all starts with perspective. When we can see through someone else's eyes and we can walk in their shoes, then that gives us a chance to become more compassionate and to make those sensible and sensitive decisions. So I have two more questions before we jump into the CTA, Zoe. And one question is around the hot topic, the great resignation, which is something that is thrown out a lot these days. And some people are saying, is it a reflection of the leadership or is it a reflection that's individual based because they just realize their worth and they're just not gonna settle for anyone's crap. So from your leadership background and experience, what are your thoughts around the great resignation? We're experiencing it a little bit differently here in Australia. It's less about the great resignation and more about the great lack of people <laughs> to, to build jobs. <laughs> so it's, it's not that people are leaving jobs. It's just that there's not enough people to fill the jobs that are created. So that's one slightly different dynamic. 
And there's also the story, there are stories out there, I'm hearing it from my leaders as well, where people are leaving organizations and taking lesser pay so that they can maintain the flexibility of work from home. So some organizations are less flexible than others around that. So there is an extreme interest in having more autonomy in people's roles. Um, So I think that's contributing to it. And I think the other aspect of that is people are, because it's in here in Australia anyway, it's an employee's market. They have more choices about where they go. So they can be more choosy about what they do. I think the pandemic um, has allowed or enabled people to take stock of what they're doing with their life and world and determine that they may want to do something different, uh, whether that's working less or working differently or working for themselves. And so the, resi- the great resignation, so zooming back to the global context and a bit more of a North American context, is that about leaving bad bosses? Maybe some element of that. I think it's a little bit more about self-determination and that when people got a taste of autonomy the, in terms of they, it's ironic, right? So they got freedoms cut by saying work from home. And then that also gave a huge license to freedom in terms of how you determine how you work and where you work. And you worked out that you could work differently and you didn't have to go through the drudgery of, tra- of travel every day to work in and out. And for some people that saved them hours of day, hours in the day uh, of not having to commute. Um, and so they, they got a whole bunch of time back with their family for themselves, et cetera. So that taste of autonomy and self-direction, I think is something that people are more appealing to. So I think it's less about leaving bad bosses and more about leaning into how do I run my world? That has been the game changer for a lot of people. And, um, to add to that though, is, are people saying, I'm not putting up with that crap anymore? I think that's also the case in some ways is that that they can make choices about how they want to operate and i think it's interesting in north america you know north america uh, america and canada have a lot less holiday time uh, than australia so here in australia standard holidays four weeks a year of of leave and in america it's not it's like two weeks a year and australians know how to have time off <laughs> like we have a lot of public holidays We've got at least four weeks off a year and my family's always has a little sarcastic comments. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm on another couple of weeks leave. They're like, really? Again? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's good. And I think there's a, there's a movement happening in terms of a shift towards what is life all about and how do we want to run our life? That's sort of informing a lot of these, these choices that feels like a giant resignation around the traps. Oh man, it sounds like I need to hop on a plane and move to Australia. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> that's pretty good here. Definitely. Like, thanks for answering that question because I really wanted to see it from your vantage point and perspective, because I do believe that it's a multifold answer whenever it comes to the great resignation. And it depends on who you ask and what their quality of life is and what's the value added um, to really get them to say, okay, this is where I'm making a transition in order to make a transformation, but it's based on my terms. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last question before the CTA, um, Zoe, is what are your thoughts around personality assessments? Do you feel like all leaders and their direct reports should really be open to taking personality assessments, whether it is Clifton Strengths, Meyer Briggs, Equilibria, or et cetera? I think all of those mapping tools have benefits and advantages to them. And um, 
it was, I think it was George Box, a statistician said that all models are useful and all models are flawed. And that applies to any type of profiling instrument. Some of them are about personality. Some of them are about strength. Some of them are about behavior. Some of them are about ego leadership maturity and some of them about values development as well. And should you, should you have to take them? Depends how they're used. If they are used as punishing tools, no. If they are used as developmental tools, yes, um, absolutely. I've seen tremendous power in having people conduct uh, one of those tools and develop insight about themselves and their colleagues. So I ran one of those sessions this week, actually, with a group of senior executives with a local construction company. So they're, they're going through a big period of change in their business. They're changing the structure of the business to become employee owned and they're growing. And so they have a huge, huge journey ahead of them. And so we did a values uh, profiling assessment and it's with it, the particular tools called complete coherence. And it looks at, uh, it's a developmental model, meaning that uh, it has, has as its basis of its research that we as humans and adults continue to grow and evolve. And our values continue to grow and evolve. They become more complex and engage in more, uh, they become more complex and inclusive as we grow and evolve potentially. So we had a look at this, they completed the assessment. We look at the balance of where their center of gravity is in terms of their worldview, what values are important to them, how that affects how they work together and how they approach their work and the strengths of that and the areas that need to watch out on. So huge, huge value in doing that in terms of that insight and helping them work better together and also develop their own developmental pathways as individuals. So should, should, should people complete these? Uh, the basic answer is depends on how they're being used and whether they're being used for development or punishment. Mm, okay, that's a good answer. So you would recommend it based on the end results of what they're going to use it for. And if the end results are cohesive and they're going to create a space of synergies where that individual and that overall team can develop, then go for it. If it's used to punish that individual and say, okay, no, you didn't do good in this area. This is the area that you need to work on. Not so much. That's right. So I prefer to take a strength-based approach to development regardless whether, so instead of using a, a profiling tool as a diagnostic, say you're strong here and you're weak here, let's work on your weaknesses. For positive psychology says that doesn't tend to work anyway. People are demotivated and it actually detracts from performance as opposed to here's a diagnostic, here are your strengths. How can we leverage this? How can we build on this? Like that's a strength-based approach to that. So that's where I'd say that those are, those profiling tools can be useful. Amazing. And thank you, Zoe, for breaking down um, that in your um, viewpoint. And now I want to jump into the call to action. What is your call to action for our audience today? Okay, a couple things. So do for yourself and do for yourself means what I'd love you to do as a leader is to develop a reflective practice. So all leaders who are, are going to be big contributors have a practice of reflection, whether you use a journal or an audio tool to do that, or simply while you're making uh, some toast, think about how you showed up as a leader today and reflect on what worked, what didn't, and what could be, uh, what you could, uh, what could be even better. So having a reflective practice where you're looking at your leadership practice and your self-practice is essential for growing self-awareness and therefore kicking on to your leadership development. So that's sort of do-it-yourself piece. Uh, for a, for something to help you with engaging with others, I have a free report 
um, how to deal with difficult behaviors in the workplace. It's based on my last book, People Stuff, the award-winning one. And you can find that at zoerath.com slash resources. It's a full report, a great summary of the four devils of People Stuff, the patterns behind them and how you can respond and deal with them. Amazing. So I'll definitely have that in the show notes, Zoe. And then for those who are social butterflies, what social media platforms do you hang out primarily? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. So I publish a lot of content on LinkedIn, short, sharp videos, small articles, um, lots of different conversations there. Um, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as well. And you can come over to my podcast as well, the Zoe Routh Leadership Podcast, and you can tune in each week as I interview different authors, experts, and leaders themselves on all the stuff in people's, all the people stuff in leadership. Amazing. And thank you so much, Zoe, for just coming into the community and just adding so much value. Audience, once again, Zoe's contact information will be in the show notes. So just scroll on down, read and tap in with her. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe. We're on 40 plus platforms. You could also find this video recording on our YouTube channel by going to at gems. G-E-M-S with Genesis Amaris Kemp. And lastly, but not least, I want to thank each one of you for supporting the guests that I bring into the community, as well as the mission to spread topics that is educational, inspirational, and motivational, while also the passion for diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Because of that, we're now ranked in the top 2% globally out of 2.8 million podcasts for www.listennotes.com. And we couldn't have done it without great supporters like yourself. So until the next guest, next episode, peace, love, and lots of blessings. Have yourself an amazing day. Thank you for listening to another segment of GEMS Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this recording. Make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe to GEMS Podcast on your audio platform, as well as our YouTube channel, GEMS with Genesis Mars Kemp. We would love for you to be a sponsor, so please reach out via email at GEMS, G-E-M-S, with W-I-T-H, Genesis, G-E-N-E-S-I-S, Amaris, A-M-A-R-I-S, Kemp, K-E-M-P, at gmail.com, where your brand, your swag, your services can be here on GEMS Podcast.